Thank you very much, Anna, for that informative report. And let's look to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to share together around your word. We pray for your spirit's anointing upon each of us. May your word be applied to our own hearts and lives so that we might be transformed into your likeness. Through Christ we pray. Amen. We continue our study this morning on the Beatitudes, and the particular Beatitude this morning that we want to look at is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I was there in the room with Brian as the jailer locked the door behind us. Brian had contacted me and informed me that he wanted to talk to a pastor. He wanted someone to assure him of hope. And I listened to his story. His story was a story of heartbreak and crime that landed him in jail. And he had questions. Would his wife stick by him? Would his wife continue to support and be loyal to him even while he was incarcerated? How would his jail time, how would his prison time affect all his family? I heard his story and I heard his desire for mercy. Now, while I have not been given a literal prison sentence like Brian, yet all of us, myself included, stand in need of God's grace and in need of God's mercy. All of us have been condemned and sentenced to die because we are all born as sinners. Therefore, I, in compassion, I, in empathy, desired to minister to him and to indeed give him hope. Now, the Beatitudes, it's interesting that this Beatitude on mercy is sandwiched between two other Beatitudes that stress the ethical ideals of living in the kingdom. The one before this is to hunger and thirst for righteousness or to hunger and thirst for right relatedness. And then the one right after, which is the one that I'll be preaching on next Sunday, is the beatitude to be pure in heart. But this mercy, this mercy beatitude is put right dab in the middle of these other two Beatitudes that indicate how we are expected to live on the ethical ideals of the kingdom. Now, the Anabaptists have emphasized discipleship, and if you uh, want to, you can uh, find the page in your bulletin and jot these down, the, the blanks, or you can, you can simply listen. But the underlined uh, answers will be on the, the PowerPoint. And so the, emphasis, the Anabaptists have emphasized discipleship and following the way of the Lord in complete obedience in daily life. 
We believe, as Anabaptists, that the gospel, that Jesus makes a difference in the day in and day out, the way we live our lives. But one of the traps, one of the traps of this emphasis of discipleship in daily life is that we can fall into a judgmental stance to become judgmental and critical of others instead of relating to others with compassion and instead of relating to them with mercy and grace. Now, as these first disciples, as the disciples of Jesus heard about mercy and also about justice, they should not have been surprised that Jesus was teaching about these topics. Because the, the scriptures, the scriptures that they had, the, the Old Testament, in the, in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah proclaimed that the Lord requires to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, in Micah 6, 8. And sometimes justice and mercy are pitted against each other. But here the prophet has justice and mercy in tandem, justice and mercy together. We are called by the prophet Micah to work toward both justice and mercy. The story is told of a mother who sought the pardon of her son from the ruler Napoleon. And the emperor reminded her that it was her son's second offense and that justice demanded that he be put to death. And I don't ask for justice, the mother responded. She said, I plead for mercy. But Napoleon replied, he does not deserve mercy. Sir, cried the mother, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all that I ask. Well then, the emperor Napoleon responded, I will show mercy. And indeed, as a result of the mother's request, his life was spared and Napoleon responded in mercy. So let's consider this morning, consider together, I'd like to lift up three points as what the scriptures tell us about mercy. And the first one is that mercy is more than an attitude. And the word that Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount, the word that Jesus used for mercy is based on the Hebrew word kehesed. It is the ability to get right inside the other person until we can see things from their viewpoint and experience and feel things from their viewpoint and feel with their feelings. It is a whole series of words, and that's what happens in translation. There's no one word in this case that we can say this is what mercy means. And so this 
word chesed is faithfulness and kindness and love and mercy all bundled up together. Notice also that it was in response to the pleas of mercy that Jesus was involved in his healing ministry. Jesus healed four blind men. He also healed the Canaanite's daughter and the ten lepers then in Luke 17. Lawrence Richards says that mercy is, quote, compassion expressed to meet human need, end quote. So mercy is extending our hands of love, our hands of compassion, without asking a lot of questions as to how persons with outstretched hands, as to how they got in that situation, or without giving them a lecture as to what they need to do so they aren't into that situation in the future. It is responding Mercy is responding to the cries of the poor, the cries of the indigent, those who are down about, responding to them with grace and mercy. Mercy is more than an attitude. Mercy results in actions. In a recent presentation that the executive uh, director, uh, Kim, of Love, Inc., that means love in the name of Christ, she emphasized that member congregations can be involved and work together to minister to meet human needs. She made this presentation to the East Petersburg Ministerium, and wanted to learn more. We wanted to learn more about this ministry. And I would suggest that as we are involved in Love Inc., love in the name of Christ, we are showing mercy. We are. This is an opportunity to live out this beatitude. And if you want more information as to how or want to respond and how you can live out this beatitude by being involved in love in the name of Christ, then contact uh, Katrina and Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Shank. Secondly, mercy is rooted in God's, God's character and is a basic quality of God. The psalmist in Psalm 136 continues to assert and continues to proclaim that the steadfast love of God is forever. When Moses went up into Mount Sinai, and when he went up the second time, he needed to go back this, up the second time because the first time he was so distraught at the way the children of Israel responded that the tablets of uh, the Ten Commandments were broken. So he's invited to come up to Mount Sinai the second time. And at that time, The scripture says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, God proclaimed about God's self in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. St. John Chrysostom once said, mercy imitates God and disappoints Satan. And then also from Deuteronomy 4, 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the solemn covenant he made with your ancestors. So it is God, it is God who is a source of mercy that we experience, we receive mercy from God, and then we can then shower that mercy onto all the people whom we relate to, onto all the people in our lives. And Paul emphasizes this in his second letter to the Corinthians, in Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. As I indicated in the earlier in the Psalms, and there are other places in the Psalms where the psalmist continues to extol and proclaim the mercy and the grace of God. And then also in the New Testament, it's interesting to note that Mary, the mother of Jesus, in our praise and adoration at the birth of the Savior, proclaims, what does she proclaim? She proclaims God's grace and proclaims God's mercy. She says in Luke 1.50, His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Paul also writes about the mercy of God. Paul says to the Ephesians, God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with whom he loved us, even when we were dead through trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So the scriptures continue to proclaim that God, by God's very character, is a merciful God. Mercy is God's choice and is rooted in the character of God. Like the woman who pleaded, the mother who pleaded for her son's life, mercy is never, ever, never deserved. We cannot earn mercy. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot manipulate God by our good works and think, yes, now, because of what I have done, I will receive mercy. Carmen Andres tells the story, hearing the story about a man who died and encountered St. Peter at the pearly gates. And Peter asked him, how many points do you have? And when the man confidently declared that he had been a pastor for 20 years, Peter then gave him two points. 
A bit taken aback, the man asked how many points he needed to get into heaven. And Peter's response was, well, a lot more than that. And as the pastor desperately began to list all the good things that he had done, another man walked up behind him and Peter just waved him on through, waved him on in. And the pastor, seeing this, asked incredulously, why did he get to walk right in? And Peter responded, he's not playing this game. It is only by God's grace and mercy that we will be allowed into heaven. We will never, we will never, ever be able to gain heaven if we play the point game. God's mercy is everlasting. It will never run out. God expects, thirdly then, God expects kingdom citizens to reflect mercy to others. And the Greek word that is used to translate mercy generally means generosity, but here a better translation is forgiveness. Mercy comes from God, and as we experience the mercy of grace and God, we can then share that with others. There's a story back in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus is at dinner with, with his disciples and not only his disciples, but also, but also the down and outs, the, the tax collectors and the outsiders. And the tax collectors were avoided because they were known to be complicit with the, with the Romans and also because they were known to be cheating people out of their money. And the sinners, the other outcasts, did not keep the strict requirements of the law for ritual purity. And the Pharisees, as they noticed Jesus at dinner with all these outcasts and the people who were not the good people of society, Jesus' response was from Hosea 6.6, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than offerings. And Richard Gardner says, quote, What the Pharisees need to learn from Hosea is that showing mercy to tax collectors and sinners is more important than maintaining ritual purity. And I suggest that Jesus is saying it's imperative to show kindness and mercy to all people instead of trying to determine who is in and who is out. Jesus expects his disciples to treat all people with respect and kindness and mercy. All people with respect, kindness, and mercy. In the story of the Good Samaritan, a story that we heard from our Sunday school days, it was the hero of the story is the one who showed mercy. And in 1 Peter 2.10, Peter implies that we are now God's people because we have received God's mercy. And because 
we have experienced and tasted of God's mercy and love, then we can respond to others out of compassion and also mercy. And this is made abundantly clear. Oh, we're able to respond with the mercy of God flowing through us instead of being harsh and judgmental and critical. Instead of being harsh, judgmental, and critical attitude. And this is what God is calling us to do, and Jesus made this abundantly clear in the story of the unmerciful servant, which we find in Matthew 18. And this story, which we looked at in when, I, when we had the series on the parables, this story is about the, the king who, or the servant who owed the king $12 million, totally beyond his ability to pay. And then the king ordered the man and his family to be sold. And he pleaded, the, the man pleaded for mercy. And in response, the king forgave the entire debt. And this, my sisters and brothers, is what God has done for us. God has forgiven our entire debt. For by grace you have been saved. The king paid the debt, crossed off, crossed it off the books. This is what it means to be merciful, Jesus is saying. And as Myron Augsburger says, and I quote, but human nature is inclined to resent rather than to release, to be demanding rather than to forgive, end of quote. And so the servant went out and found another man who owed him a paltry sum, perhaps we might say $20, and he grabbed him and ordered him to pay up and ordered him to be put into prison. And the king was When the king found out about it, the king was very, very angry because the one who had been extended mercy now was not merciful to the others. Some persons like Brian or some persons like the tax collector in the temple in Luke 18 readily admit their need for mercy. And mercy is given to those persons. And as we are aware of our need, our need for mercy and grace, only then can we receive mercy from God and from our sisters and brothers. There are some of us who are like the Pharisees. We have trouble admitting that we stand in need of God's mercy. But as we show mercy to others, as we experience experience God's mercy, and then as we show mercy to others, we will grow in the opportunity to have to experience mercy and to extend mercy. It's interesting that of the two parables that Jesus presents, the two parables that Jesus gives that relate to judgment and relate to future life, Jesus singles out mercy or the lack of it 
that may affect how a person's destiny will be in the future. In Luke 16, the story of the rich man the, and who had the, the servant Lazarus, the poor man, lying out there by the gate. And Lazarus was covered with sores. And it was, he did not extend mercy to the poor man. And so the rich man in torment called out to Father Abraham, who was far away, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the finger of, dip his finger into cool water and to come and cool my tongue. And then Jesus says also in Matthew 25, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So when we know in our hearts when we know the price of our redemption, then we too will offer forgiveness and mercy in Christ's name. We too will offer forgiveness and mercy. It was Reinhold Niebuhr, the noted American theologian, comments on our need for self-awareness. He says, forgiving love is a possibility, one for those who know that they are not good, who feel themselves in need of divine mercy, who live in a dimension deeper and higher than that of moral idealism, feel themselves as well as their fellow humans convicted of sin by a holy God and know that the differences between us all are insignificant. End quote. The merciful are those who are able to forgive others because they too have experienced the mercy and the grace of God. So, in conclusion, God's love and mercy must be shared. We dare not keep God's love and mercy under lock and key or we will find it to be molded like the manna that was stored up by the Israelites. It did not stay fresh. But as Clarence Jordan points out, quote, if they seek to keep their secret, they shall lose it. Or if they hoard their manna, it will rot just as it did for the Israelites in the wilderness, end of quote. Brian, whom you met in my introduction, was in jail. In jail, as I recall, for the first time. He was hoping for mercy. He was hoping for mercy by the courts. He was hoping for mercy by the judge. And I responded to God's mercy and the opportunity that I had to show mercy and grace to him. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive God. And I invite us this week to extend mercy and pardon and grace to all the people whom we interact with this week. Amen. We'll share in a closing song.